Hey entrepreneurs and website owners, if you're ready to take your online presence to the next level, you need a reliable web host. And that's where HostGator comes in. HostGator is your one-stop solution for easy, affordable, and powerful web hosting. Whether you're launching a blog, an online store, or anything in between, HostGator's got you covered. Don't miss out on creating the website you've always wanted. Visit foxcitiesmm.com slash HostGator today and let your journey begin. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Waltergrens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, what kind of murder you got for us today? All and right. is it in Kakana? It is a murder. It is not in Kakana. Okay. For the people at home, they don't they don't know this, but we have We've had a break for a while on our end. Yes, quite a long time, actually. <laughs> quite a long time. And uh, if you can remember way, way back, um, I said I was going to have two Sheboygan episodes. Yes. Okay. And the they were to be things that I was going to present at St. Patrick's Day in Sheboygan. Well, actually in Plymouth, but outside of Sheboygan. And I did. The first one we did was before I went. Now we're recording this over a month after St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> so um, a little bit of a of a break in there. But anyway, this is the second half of the Sheboygan stories, and I think it's funny because I think when we recorded the first one, mm-hmm. it was actually a day before. It was like going, that week. Yeah. yeah, it was like right before you were about to go do that. Yeah, so, so like people at home shouldn't notice, you know, <laughs> shouldn't notice the jump, but just. For us here, we're, this is this letting you in behind the scenes yes. that, that there's actually been like a month gap since that was recorded. So anyway, this time we're going to talk about Andrew Young. Okay. Andrew Young, originally born in Springfield, Illinois. A great place, I've yes. heard. Never been there. Yeah, I've never been there either. But I've heard, <laughs> it, I've heard it's great. Uh, his father was a coal miner uh, and then later a city firefighter. So, you know, a respectable Respectable family, having a dad being a firefighter. Well, Andrew Young, not as respectable as his father. We, as expected. As expected. We jump to March 1927. Olaf Johansson, and I may be saying that wrong, but just go with it here. Olaf Johansson was murdered at Otto Cole's Sheboygan Soft Drink Parlor, known as the Cuckoo's Nest. While he was resisting a holdup, he took eight bullets. They were 38 bullets. Like, the size of the bullets were 38s. Mm-hmm. Not that he got shot with 38 bullets. Uh, mostly in his head. The killers got away with $100 and some cigarettes. And they fled in a stolen car heading south on Highway 17. Can I can I interrupt real quick? Yes. I think I have a very stupid question. Probably but you, not. But you said that he was in a soda soda parlor. When yes. did you say this was? 1927. Okay, so this would have been prohibition. It would. Okay, that's why I was just wondering. Like, were soda parlors this common and known for crime <laughs> at this point in time? Or, but this is probably not really a soda parlor. It is not. Okay. Okay. Johansson financially supported his 70-year-old father, who was too old to find work. He did have a sister, but his sister was an actress in New York, and she didn't want to leave her career to come back and help out her family. So with Johansson 
now dead, his 70-year-old father. Oh, he was in some bad shape. Five men in the soda parlor witnessed the slaying. They would later admit that even though it was prohibition, you could regularly purchase beer and moonshine at the soda parlor. There you go. There was your answer right <laughs> off the bat. Yep. Descriptions of the armed bandits were given out to all the police agencies in the area. The chief of police ordered police motorcycles equipped with sidecars and manned by two officers to be sent to Manitowoc, to Plymouth, and all surrounding areas. They took a car went all the way down to Milwaukee to search for the murderers. Once at Milwaukee, the chief of police of Sheboygan went to the police station where he gave a complete description of the two men and the car that they were looking for. The Milwaukee authorities said, hey, we might already have those people on another matter because we have two men who fit your description. The chief then called Sheboygan and said, hey, send down Otto, Otto Coles, the guy who owned the soft drink parlor. Bring him down to Milwaukee as soon as possible so he can identify our suspect. A few hours later, Coles arrived and officers managed to line up, much to the disappointment of everyone. He could not pick out his men from the lineup. The Sheboygan chief of police drove on to Chicago to talk to authorities there with no luck. Did did I miss something? How did Chicago get wrapped into this? He's just driving from police station to police station looking to see if his guys got arrested. <laughs> okay. The next day, the car used in the robbery was found in a side road just south of Sheboygan. A check of the license plate showed the car had been stolen from Manitowoc. Deputies found bloodstains in the car, along with some of the personal items that the holdup men had taken during the robbery. Sheriff's officers searched summer cottages in the immediate area and found one that had been broken into. Apparently, the gunman had spent the night in a secluded cabin, but then the trial went cold. Or the trail went cold. Manitowoc officers scoured their records looking for any known local criminals who might fit the description. A theory was developing that possibly the wanted men were from Manitowoc since that's where they stole the car. A few days after the murder, which by now had received widespread media attention, a tip was received from a Manitowoc merchant. The merchant said that a customer had brought in a coat, and it was the same type of coat that was worn by Olaf Johansson. The merchant said that the coat had several dark stains on it, (laughs) and that he assumed this might be dried blood. A label inside the coat indicated that it was owned by a man named Albert Lutzky, and Albert Lutzky was known to area police. The physical description of Lutzky even fit the description of one of the murderers. So this Lutzky has his name now inside of a suspicious coat. A pickup order was put out on Lutzky, and Manitowoc authorities scoured the county looking for him. The coat was turned over to Sheboygan police, who sent it to the lab and tried to determine the blood type. Manitowoc County Sheriff's investigators received information on where they might locate Lutzky. Officers were directed to a farm, when the farm owner was asked if he knew where Lutsky might be, he claimed he hadn't seen him for a long time. The officers doubted his story and searched the property. The searchers entered the farm, and they carefully searched the room, the house room by room, and guess what? Lutsky was hiding under a bed. <laughs> they found him. Police Chief Wagner was informed that a suspect in the Johansson murder was being held in the Manitowoc County Jail. He picked up several of the witnesses and drove them to Manitowoc for a lineup. But guess what? It wasn't Lutsky. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. It wasn't Lutsky. It wasn't him. They, they, the witnesses could not identify him. Oh, so they picked this guy up thinking he was killer. And they thinking they, he was the killer. And then they put the, him in a lineup and they're like, no. Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. A little bit later now, we're at a shoe store in Bloomington, Illinois. 
Well, this one jumps around a little bit, huh? Yeah. The store had just opened for the day when an employee noticed two men were looking in the window. Thinking that they were customers, he walked to the front of the store and he said, May I help you? The clerk was then startled to hear a gruff voice behind him order, Turn around! He turned around and found himself staring down the barrel of a gun. The gunman said, This is a stick-up. Get in the back of the store, with a gun barrel jabbing him in the back. The terrified young man was herded into the back room, which was separated from the main store by a curtain. In the back of the store, the would-be robbers ordered him to open the store safe. He said, I can't open the safe. I don't have the combination. (laughs) They pointed the barrel of the gun under his chin, and they said, If you don't know the combination, who knows the combination? Well, only the store owner knows the combination. Well, when does he get here? He gets here soon. The employee is held captive in the rear of the store. The other bandit goes out, uh, moves out from behind the curtain and takes up a position near the front of the front door to make sure no one else comes in. Before long, the store owner does arrive, only to have the gun thrust up against his head, and he's ordered to the back of the store. He opens the safe, and the thieves take $430 in cash. They force the men to lie down on the floor. One of the robbers stepped out of the back room and returned quickly with several pairs of silk stockings, which they used to tie up the captives. The gunman then fled out the front door and into a car that had been parked in front of the store with the motor running the whole time. I'm being very, <laughs> being very emotional in my, in my storytelling today. As soon as the bandits left the shoe store, the owner and his clerk were able to free themselves from their silk stockings and called police. Witnesses pointed out to the officers the direction the robbers had fled only moments before and gave a description of the getaway car. Long story short, after a chase ensued, they caught the bandits. All surrounding police departments in the area were advised to watch the highways. It had been successful. Much to their surprise, the bandits surrendered immediately, crawled out of their hiding place. Officers placed the suspects in handcuffs and both were searched. During the search, investigators found one of them had two guns, an automatic 25 and an automatic 32. The second suspect was armed with a 38 caliber revolver. They also recovered most, but not all, of the loot from the shoe store. Where it went between the shoe store and this drive five minutes later, I don't know. They marched them out to a nearby road where they were picked up and taken to the city jail and interrogated. The men turned out to be Andrew Young, the focus of our story. We're finally here. Okay. And Frank Allgood. They were held in Bloomington and word traveled to Sheboygan. Otto Coles, the soft drink parlor owner, was sent down again and this time, he actually identified the men <laughs> as those who were in his soft drink parlor. Allgood even had a knife on him that was taken from one of the people who was in the soft drink parlor on that day. The Sheboygan chief of police wanted them to stand trial in Wisconsin, but the district attorney said no, they would first have to stand trial in Illinois for armed robbery. The chief of police said that's really stupid because if they're convicted of murder in Wisconsin, um, they're never going to be in Illinois again. The district attorney was very firm and said, no, we're keeping them here and trying them with murder or, they, or with armed robbery. They wanted to get them that fine money or something, right? I guess. <laughs> While the two of them awaited trial, it was discovered that they had fairly lengthy criminal records and they had both already served time in prison. Not really surprising anyone. Toward the end of the year, the two gunmen stood trial in Illinois and were found guilty and sentenced to life in the Illinois State Prison at Joliet. Sheboygan would just have to wait until the two criminals were released to prosecute them. Uh, what? They were found guilty? 
for life for armed robbery armed robbery yeah is that normal <laughs> i feel like it's not normal but maybe there's some kind of like three strikes law or something in effect here weird yeah. okay <laughs> yeah it's definitely a bit excessive but but like i said maybe if you get in prison enough times they just say up oh, you got life you're, now. you're just staying so well, the, the magic question is yes. does he get out he gets out he does get out so how long Three months. No, I just, I hope not. Take a, take a real guess. <laughs> um, so it's life. I don't know. I'm going to guess six years. That's a better guess. Andrew Young, sentenced to life, is released after 12 years. Okay. So. So he's out now. It's 1939. And the Sheboygan authorities still want to try him for murder. So they immediately arrest him after he's released. At the preliminary hearing, all five of the witnesses still say, yep, he's one of the guys. All good had still not completed his sentence, so he was still in Illinois for a while yet. During jury selection, the defense asked potential jurors if they would convict a person on circumstantial evidence. They said, well, yeah, of course we would. <laughs> um, a couple of them didn't know uh, what circumstantial evidence meant, so the judge explained it to them like this. Let's say you go to bed and there's no snow on the ground. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and there's snow on the ground. You didn't see it snowing. But do you think that it snowed last night? <laughs> and the jurors are like, yeah, it probably snowed. He's like, that's what circumstantial evidence is. He goes, you don't have to actually see something to happen to know that it happened. But I don't know if that's the best explanation, but that's the way the judge did it. Okay. At trial, Young claimed that he had been out of state during the murder. His mother, his father, his brother, his fiance, and his fiance's sister all said... He wasn't in Sheboygan at the time. He was in Springfield, Illinois. There's no way he did this murder. The fiancé said, in fact, this was actually the day that he proposed to me. He <laughs> wow. definitely wasn't in Sheboygan. <laughs> the father was a respected man in Springfield. Like I said, he had been a firefighter. Andrew Young said he never wore an overcoat like the witnesses said that he was wearing. And he had never even fired a revolver in his life. He goes, that's not me. The defense attorney went to the Illinois State Prison and had taken a deposition from Frank Allgood. Frank Allgood actually admitted that he was guilty of shooting Olaf Johansson. So he admitted the murder, but he swore Andrew Young was not the person with him during the robbery. Weird. He said, the man with me was a criminal from Illinois known as Short Arm Louie. <laughs> They looked at mugshots, and sure enough, Short Arm Louie did kind of look like Andrew Young. Frank Allgood said that he and Short Arm Louie had also robbed some other places, including a laundromat in Springfield. Unfortunately, Short Arm Louie couldn't testify because he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the best evidence from the state was testimony from a ballistics expert that the gun found on Andrew Young when he was arrested was the gun that fired the murder bullet. After five days of testimony, during which the defense claimed that Young was a victim of mistaken identity, the trial came to an end. The jury deliberated for five hours, and they came back with a verdict. What do you think the verdict was? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with guilty, but I could see it going the other way, too. He's okay. got to turn the paper over. He doesn't even know what I it know is. what it is. I know what it is. He was found guilty. Okay. And he was again sentenced to life in prison. And he again gets out in 12 years. Allegedly, 
According to the newspapers, Andrew Young was the first person in the history of Sheboygan County to have been found guilty of first-degree murder. I find that extremely hard Hard to to believe believe in 1939 that nobody had been convicted of (laughs) first-degree murder before, but that's what the papers said. What became of Frank Allgood? In July 1941, so this is two years after this trial, he was brought to Wisconsin for trial. He spoke to reporters and said the biggest change since he was in prison were the cars. He said, I can't believe the way the cars have changed since I got out of prison. (laughs) Holy moly. He said, Joliet Prison is kind of like its own city. There's 4,000 people who live there. It's amazing. (laughs) So he was just really excited about being in prison, it sounds like. Yeah. He goes, guess what? I met some cool people in there, including people you might know, Leopold and Loeb. And Leopold and Loeb, were I don't know if you know, but they were really, really famous criminals in the early 1900s because you were like these two teenagers who killed um, a young boy for the only reason was they thought they could get away with it. <laughs> they, they thought they were so smart. We're going to kill this guy and see if we can we get, get away, away with, with it, it, which they didn't. Well, I kind of disproves your theory yeah (laughs) but they got very famous off of it frank allgood pleads guilty uh to the reduced charge of second degree murder and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison he was paroled after serving eight years so he ends up only serving eight years for a murder that he actually admits to did you say how long it took for the other guy to get out no and on the okay I know I said twelve years, but I have no idea. So Oh no 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 no. Like, he got out he got out for twelve years for the for, for the armed for the robbery. First, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I said twelve years again, but but I'm assuming that's not what it was. It's not twelve years the okay. second time. Andrew Young is in prison. He maintains this whole time. He says, It wasn't me. He was short armed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was the other guy. It was the guy with the short arm. Eventually, two psychiatrists think, you know, maybe he's telling us the truth. So they give him a truth serum. <laughs> this, this, where, when are we right now? This is probably 1940. And, and there's truth serum. There's truth so. serum. Sodium amytal okay. they give him. And while he's under the influence, they question him for over an hour. And at the whole time, he never breaks down. He says, it wasn't me. I wasn't there. It's a short arm guy. And they, they said, huh, that's weird. Do you know or have you ever looked into it? Is there any way that whatever they gave him could make somebody tell the truth or for some, like... I really don't know about you don't truth know. serums. <laughs> okay. Hey, man, the first thing I would have done if I was researching this story is I would have looked that up. Like, well, like, is there any valid... That's my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to people. Sorry to people. You, um, you just ticked off 100 people because they yeah. all want to know. <laughs> if I were to take... A guess. My guess is sodium amytal probably makes you more likely to tell the truth. I mean, it has to at least kind of work if they're using y- it. Yeah, I would assume like like it would almost make you like a drunk. Like people t- right. tend to tell a drunk, tell things more honestly when they're drunk. So right. it would be the same kind of concept maybe. But my my thinking is this, is if you have convinced yourself that you didn't do it, even if you did, if you convinced yourself you didn't do it, you could probably lie through that. Yeah, in just probably if you're, you know, I mean, same, the right same person as, same could as a lie detector test. I mean, you can beat a lie detector test. It's just you have to know how to not show response to it. I would venture to that this 
truth serum, as they call it, yeah, probably does not even work as well as a lie detector. Probably not. You know, so. maybe maybe in a future episode, we'll just talk about truth serum for a while. <laughs> um, anyway, but apparently this was fairly convincing because word gets to the governor and the governor says, oh, you give him truth serum? And he said he didn't do it? Well, then I guess I'll let him go. <laughs> <laughs> so after being in prison for six years... He is granted an absolute pardon. He's no parole, doesn't have to check in with anybody. He is a free man. The story's not quite over. Okay. I'm hoping we're going to find out whether he really did it or not. We so. don't find that oh. out. We don't find that out. A couple years later, he's released in 46, 1946. By 1952, he had moved to an apartment in Milwaukee, and he comes to the media's attention again for something that we talked about on our other podcast. Really? Yes. So now he's getting involved with the mafia. Yes. Andrew Young was one of the guys who drove from Milwaukee to Reno, Nevada, and stole over a million dollars in cash out of a guy's house. Really? Yes. Wow, that was a, a long episode ago. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But he was caught. In 1952, with a $1,000 bill on him back when such a thing existed, and everything started crumbling apart, and he was implicated, and he had to serve five years in Nevada State Prison. I'm not going to tell the whole story, because you can listen to the other podcast. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's awesome how you you have made these tides. Yeah. Because... For anybody that that didn't listen to the last Mayhem episode, it also had a reference to Milwaukee Mafia, too. Yes. Right? Yes. That was the right Mayhem episode, I'm thinking. Well, I don't know if it was the last, it was the other Sheboygan one, yes. Yeah, yeah. So. And uh, he is arrested one more time after getting out for the Reno, Nevada thing. This time, he was caught in an attempted safe cracking of a supermarket in Brandon, Wisconsin, which is near Fond du Lac. I've never been there personally, but it's in the Fond du Lac area. Caught with him were a few other guys. Um, one of them fled, but was found staying actually at Young's house in Milwaukee, so that didn't help him out. Supermarket owner walked in on the men as they were wiring up 12 detonator caps and three sticks of dynamite. The police speculated that the men were also connected to a dozen other supermarket safe crackings in the past six months. In Milwaukee, Manitowoc, Nina, Menasha, West Bend, Fond du Lac, Appleton, Beloit, and Sheboygan. So they've been blowing up safes with dynamite, allegedly, all over the state. It's amazing. They just never learn. They never, <laughs> they they never, never learn. learn. They never learn. But uh, they might. he might have learned this time because it doesn't seem like after he goes away to prison again, he causes much harm after that. But how old is he when he gets out, do you know? Great question. I, I mean, I don't know. He's you know, he's a senior citizen. Okay. So, I mean, at that point in time, he's retired. Sure. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. So. Oh, I'm too old for the safe cracking <laughs> crap. This, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that didn't seem to work out very well for me, so I'm just getting out of it. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, with this story, it is possible that he was not the guy there. It's possible it, he was not cause the guy. Because he is not a murderer. I mean, well, right. there's no evidence of him ever doing murdery things again so so it is right it's not out of the question that he might not have been the guy that was actually there yeah and you know and i don't know every single piece of evidence that came up at trial but 
the primary piece of evidence was supposed to be that he had the gun in his possession and the gun matched the gun that shot the guy. But there's a really big loophole there. And that's that there were there was a period of time between the murder and the armed robbery. And the other guy, Frank Allgood, admitted that he was involved in the murder. So he could have given him the gun in Absolutely. Theory. Yeah. Absolutely. If he was the one holding the gun in Sheboygan, and then he hands it off to his robbery buddy later, I mean, him having the gun in his possession doesn't mean that he's the guy who pulled the trigger. And the other thing I find interesting about this story is that Frank Allgood admitted he committed the murder. Right. But then said, oh, but my friend, this Andrew Young, wasn't there. This other guy was there. Well, I mean, you could think, well, Andrew Young maybe did something to get him to say that somebody else was there. But why would he? Why would he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, why is he like, oh, yeah, dude, I'll just go down for the murder. And let you go free. It's, it is weird. I mean, if he said, you know, I didn't do it and he didn't do it. Yeah. That's, you know, maybe. That makes sense. But to be like, yeah, I, mean, I totally did it, but he wasn't the guy. But he wasn't the a, other guy. It's a weird thing to say because as soon as he admits it, you know, they're going to use that against him when he gets it. So he had to basically plead guilty when he got out. Yeah. And why would you, why would you just say, well, yeah, I did it. But then say, oh, but I'm going to help my friend get away with it. Yeah, I you don't know. know. Like it, I it, don't know. I mean, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that he did that, but it seems weird to me. Is it, I mean, is it possible he shot the guy and he, and he was better than the truth serum? Absolutely. But yeah, I think there's enough wiggle room here where I would, based on what I know, and like I said, you know, there's lots of pieces that came up in trial that I don't know about. But based on what I do know, there's enough wiggle room where I would not feel confident that yeah. he was the guy. And I would agree 100% with that. All right. Well, I guess that will we'll wrap this one up. Yeah. Um, as usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Yeah, maybe on True Serums. Yeah, maybe <laughs> on True Serums. Thanks, everybody, again. We'll see you in two weeks. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.